0: Here we are. We're here. <laughs> I like I like how I go like this and then you go like this. Or you go or you go we're here. <laughs> <laughs> there, was a part, there was a part of that conversation where you were leaned back in your chair and the and Biggie's crown was on your head. Nice.
1: Like amazing. That. There it is. Like shout, out to, <laughs> shout out to Bedside Brooklyn, which none of the young people will know what that was like, which is maybe a good thing, maybe a bad thing.
0: Yeah. Uh well, so this conversation uh with Ami Rodriguez from Chipotle, which we learned her last name is Portuguese, which I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. man. Yeah, that's cool. Uh she's uh we're burping because we ate all the Chipotle. Excuse me. Yeah, that was really bad. Ju- no, I i literally burped during the whole thing. She was kind. <laughs> she was kind enough to give us these uh gift cards to the Chipotle app. And so we had Chipotle while yeah. we talked to her.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is on the way, so like we'll be grubbing soon. She's like,
0: she's like um, we got into so many things with her she's like very uh versatile as a yeah privacy lawyer and a person and like um yeah good she's just good vibes
1: like a conversation with her is gonna go nowhere and everywhere all at once like we're just this is the way it works and um you know i think we're just gonna spitball man like it'll be fun i love i love a good spitball session with friends yeah (laughs) <laughs> does, yes. your, does your shirt does your jersey does your um hoodie say Winnebago on it?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, you're Winnebago and I'm Extra Cheese today. This is nice. <laughs> it's, it's, Winnebago and Extra Cheese should be like our wrestling duo name. You understand what I'm saying? Perfect. Love it. <laughs> Dude, can, can, we have to change the name of the podcast, man. Like, you know, Privacy Breakfast Club featured Winnebago and Extra Cheese.
0: <laughs> we we got to go, our listeners. We'll we gotta, double our listeners to ten.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think our grandparents will invite our aunts and uncles to join. Yeah, so t- yep. ten listeners, it'll be dope. But oh, no, I, I'm I'm serious, man. I'm having a moment of inspiration. We got to fucking monetize Winnebago and extra cheese. Like,
0: we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna end on you dropping an F bomb. There, that's perfect. <laughs> <I did. laughs> All right, there it is. Here, here we are. <laughs> uh, here we are. We're talking. We, we jumped right in, and we're talking about the app, the Chipotle app. Ami Rodriguez uh, uh, is pre-chooler. speaking of which. Chipotle, be right back, and she kindly gave us uh credits to use on the Chipotle app. So I have. It's in a. I moved it to my own bowl. <laughs> Your own bowl. <laughs> yeah, I have a burrito bowl that I moved to my own bowl. Yes. <laughs>
2: Yes. There we go. Yes. Literally right you know, on time. Burrito Bowl is also environmentally friendly as your, your home.
0: It is. is. I want to say one other thing too. So I have my Chipotle here. Thank you, Ami, for sending us Chipotle cards. And then I also have this, who I fully support. <laughs> well, I want to make sure that we fully represent every company you've worked for. Uh, so prior to Chipotle, she was here. So I have that too.
2: And you have the two liter.
0: I what I've had. Yeah, a-
2: I was about to say, Andy, you
1: went in strong, man. I just I got a nice. Right, my- you got a two liter bottle of Coca Cola. That's the vibe. I bought, right? it, I
0: bought it. I bought. it for my father in law, who loves Coca Cola, loved <laughs> it, and has not set foot in my house in eleven months. Oh man.
2: Because you know they also have the mini cans, like if you wanted. To- but you know, I mean, two liter—that's great, right? That's- I could have gotten
0: a bottle. I could have gotten a regular
1: bottle. I know. Well, you guys keep chatting, man. I'm gonna go ahead and eat. And we, you, the What's your house.
2: What's your order? Is it a bowl?
1: Yeah. Yeah, mine's a bowl. I'm pretty basic, man. I don't. I didn't do. I don't do beans that much. So it's like chicken rice, some guacamole, and some uh, fajita veggies and some lettuce. Like that's the energy I'm on right now.
2: I tried the quesadillas. Hmm. And. That's the
0: stuff.
2: They're delicious, but. You can't, I don't know. I couldn't focus the rest of the afternoon. I was like, "Holy cow, that was a lot of food."
0: Weren't the quesadillas like a secret menu item for a while? I think uh,
2: I don't. I think I don't think so.
0: That so that doesn't you that so the secret menu items aren't in the privacy department.
2: True. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot about secrets.
0: <laughs> Do you know the Coca-Cola recipe?
2: I I, I don't. They never, they never told Privacy Council.
1: You know what a shame. I fe- I figured like the place to disclose it would be right here on the most watched podcast on Earth.
0: That's true. Nobody <laughs> would ever know the secret if we talked but about like, it here. Like quick sidetrack on that is the is the Coca Cola recipe like similar to the KFC recipe that's like in a vault in Fort Knox. <laughs> you know, supposedly. Okay, so supposedly, I
2: and mean, this is like, yeah urban legend from back when I worked at Coke was it was stored in a vault in SunTrust Bank.
1: That's what I heard, yeah.
2: SunTrust Bank underwrote Coca-Cola when it went public.
1: I've heard that same story. And shout out to Atlanta, which used to be the headquarters of SunTrust Bank, I guess, before it became whatever it's called now, Truist or something, but headquarters to Coca-Cola and where Ami and I both live.
2: Yeah home of voter suppression
1: yeah no no shout out to voter suppression um i hope honestly like they obviously already sued uh against like you know sued that that laws violates people's rights one of the things i read and i'm not an expert on this voter suppression law because that's what it is but i read that it makes it illegal for people to hand out bottled waters what the
2: food bottled water even like a cigarette
1: what? Like what is
2: the point yeah, of like, so, like if it's hot out and you're like, "Hey, do you want some water?" Nope. No snacks, no chipotle. No uh, I hate to,
1: I hate to like this is only something that like old white men could couldn't contrive. Like I just who what other group on earth would be like, Hey, I got an idea. Let's just not hand out bottled water. Like, where does this come from? Like, I I mean, I know where it comes from, um, but like how the, how this gets through an entire legislator, legislature, like I just don't understand. You
0: know, you know who else could have come up with that law? The aliens from independence day.
1: Yeah. Like this yeah. is a nightmare, man.
2: <laughs> like interesting, right? That like, they were like, Oh, it must be those people getting bottled water.
1: That yeah, you know, those problem. bottled water election fraudsters.
2: And that must have led to fraud.
0: It's borderline evil. It is evil, ma'am.
2: I do remember during the special election going to different... Like, I went to my local library. I, I voted early. And so I went to my local library, and there's, like, a DJ just, like, dropping hits to, like, get people to come and vote. That would be probably be illegal now, too.
1: It's such a shame because... Like all the pushback, like the, like the entire theory that mail-in ballots is in and of itself something that challenges the credibility of an election is such a joke. Like it's such a joke. I'm from Florida. Why don't they push those initiatives in Florida? You know why? Because the elderly and extremely white population of upper middle class and wealthy retirees that live in Florida all vote by mail-in ballot and all lean in a certain political uh, way that you would never pass that here. So the fact that it happens in Georgia and not in Florida just is demonstrative to me that this is racial and shame on the governor of Georgia for supporting something so facially discriminatory. And in my opinion, just aimed to disenfranchise thousands of people because here's what happens in rural Georgia. And I know this from a, vignette about a real person who lives in rural Georgia. There is a family in rural, in Georgia, a farmer family, and they are the only black owned farm, I think in their county. I don't know the very specifics, but they're, if not the only, one of the only black owned farms in the county. And when, and I've heard this from their own mouths, when they go vote in this rural county in Georgia, um, they feel intimidated. They feel a uh, certain pressure because everyone knows Which way they're going to vote? So they've decided as a family to vote uh, by mail-in ballot for their safety and to not be bullied and to not be felt made to feel a certain way in their community because of partaking in the act of enfranchisement and voting. Right? Like this is real in Georgia. Right? This is real. And
2: it's not just mail-in ballots; also the drop boxes. So if you don't the drop
1: boxes, like. Oh my goodness like the latino community in georgia is small but it's overwhelmingly working class and it overwhelmingly can't like go during work hours to vote because the types of jobs that they have don't lend themselves to this type of like flexibility right if you work construction seven days a week when do you go vote like when if you drive a bus like what what time do you have for these things so like Anyway, not a fan. I know this isn't a, a, a
0: voter. I was going to say, I was yeah. going to say it's only a matter of time. Probably already happened and I'm just not aware of it um, until privacy, excuse me, until privacy is weaponized for this purpose.
2: Actually, have Already, yeah. Back. I had a
0: feeling that would be the answer. I just didn't, didn't, don't have the. if you guys have the specifics. Well, more. so
2: when Brian Kemp was secretary of state, there is a giant breach of the voter registration fund. And currently, like when you register to vote, they ask you your date of birth, your address, your race. Um, it shows whether you, if you have a physical disability or not. And I don't know, like I can I can download a file and see who's registered to vote. And it's supposed to be this whole transparency act of, well, you know, sure. Look, Andy's registered, and this this is how we know it's the right Andy. And listen how we know it's the right Pedro. But should some of that information be so open? It's
1: yeah. Real. Even party affiliation can be used against you in your community. Yeah. And so.
0: Address. Address can be used against you. Your address. Yeah. But You're- like, if you go on, like, if you go
1: to me, like. It's tough to, because some of this is theoretical, but like. The subscriptionization of the internet is worrisome to me because it feels paid for privacy ish in some ways, unless executed right. And it can be executed in ways that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, but if you're not careful, I think it can land that way. And there's a lot, there's company examples out there that are getting it very wrong, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, even that in that sense, like, you know, like. I don't want to make this a show about criticizing other tech, com- tech companies, but like, I worry sometimes that like Apple's privacy, Apple's price point is a barrier for a lot of people to engage in like some of the privacy practices that they're imposing on their platform. Um,
0: what about what about um, internet connection price point?
1: Got mm. yeah, like like the ISP. Yeah. You know big wall yeah all of that stuff is terrifying to me um and again we're always worried about and again we're always worried about tech companies and like surveillance capitalism but i like that we're talking about privacy in the context of elections because you know surveillance has been used against minorities and poor people as a weapon for mint for forever i mean forever like slave patrols was a form of surveillance okay Um, And, uh, you know, the FBI targeting like African-Americans because of their political activism is, 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 is terrifying. And so now all of that can be done super clandestinely. Right. Like there are no slave patrols and the FBI is not out like not well, they probably are, but not like overtly out there knocking on doors. But if you have like a unique political opinion or or you're an activist, like I feel like this is one of the scariest times in history to be one in one of those roles especially if you're Russian, because they'll just poison you. But like in the United States, like it's I think it's terrifying. I, you know, if I was a politically active sort of like fringe, fringe is not the right word, but like edge political point of view type, I'd be terrified.
2: I think it goes both ways, though. Like, I mean, it doesn't go both ways, but I, mean, I think in terms of like whether you're talking about surveillance capitalism or surveillance by the government it, you are a different person when you know you are being monitored. Right. And of monitoring, we think of somebody putting a camera right on you and watching you. But watching the websites you, you, you view, looking at your scroll depth, looking at your location history, that's a form of monitoring. And if you know that you are being tracked somehow, somehow or the other, whether it's through ads or just through the political flyers you're receiving, or even just any any other kind of messaging you're getting, you, you change how you behave. We're talking about how like, you know, no one tells privacy the secret formula. Privacy is not necessarily about secrets. It's about, it's really about, I think, I think it's about, you know, keeping, it's allowing people to have the relationship with the data that they want. Maybe you want to put some data out there, but maybe you don't really care for everyone to you know all, your entire location history or everything you bought at a grocery store. Things like that aren't exactly secret, but it's weird for it to be out there for it to be used against you.
0: So how do you, so That's a, that leads me to a really interesting question about Chipotle and Coca-Cola and like a, <clears throat> a company that, you know, their main, their main business is food, beverage, like and we, I was actually re- doing the dishes the other night and re-listening, Pedro, to our conversation with Evan and Jennifer. Yeah. Penwick, when you raised the question, what's a tech company? I don't know what a tech company is anymore. And that's such an interesting question, particularly in light of where you have worked, Ami, um, because like that's an, what, like when our grandparents or our parents or our, those, like they think of these companies, they're like, I buy a Coca-Cola, I go get food at Chipotle, but they don't think about this as a tech company that has someone that understands the importance of scroll depth and whether, and whether that should be like disclosed in a privacy policy. And like, does someone understand the tech that, um, that Chipotle for instance, is a technology company in a lot of ways, is a supply chain and logistics company in a lot of ways. And so therefore, from your from your seat, like, what are you trying to consider? Like, how are we communicating to consumers? It changes for you. It's different.
2: That's a really interesting point, too, because if you look at market attitudes, of uh, Gen X, probably some older millennials and baby... So some older millennials but largely Gen X and baby boomers. When they think of Chipotle, they think of restaurants. When you talk to younger millennials and Gen Z, Chipotle is an app and it has like restaurants that make the food, but like most of them don't step in. It's a pickup location. You don't actually go there to order and then dine. And then, you know, in your car that like you don't have because you're using (laughs) So it's- I'll
1: tell you this. I I'm old but I have not been inside of Chipotle since the pandemic. I don't think so. I pi- I've picked up curbside like at the front door of Chipotle. And I just like you saw earlier, I got I get it delivered all the time, but for what? Like why would I go there? Like there's no obviously during the pandemic there's zero reason to go there, but um yeah. Like to me I'm 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 I engage with Chipotle for the food and like the if I can avoid people and waiting, and just yep.
0: questions—like <laughs> it's perfect world, we're world. We're but look at the convenience factor. You sent us a card kindly. Yep, it's so easy. Like that—that that situation was as easy as, easy as humanly possible for me. Load the, the card
2: contact we've had regarding that order. right
0: Yeah. Load the card, order it. It's delivered right to my doorstep. Right I, to the door, man. I didn't even have to interface with Grubhub. I did, there wasn't an intermediary. I didn't have to like, there was nothing else. It's I'm sure there's some deal behind the scenes with some, some logistics partner that's doing the delivery side of it. But like, that's what you're talking about is that the, that's definitely how it's viewed by a certain segment of the, of the world. And I just think about like the way these companies, my last company in particular that was doing loyalty programs and kind of like being the backend churning of that, th- those apps. It just was so easy to order Starbucks and collect points that I just did it all the time. <laughs> and it was, it, became, it was so easy. It was like shockingly easy to be driving, like not, you know, stop at a red light, order coffee. And I'm there. I did have to walk in. You got to walk in for like 14 seconds <laughs> and, then, and then you're out and you're back in your car. Like it's amazing
1: what they I have done. a strong Chipotle problem. But I also have a strong Chick-fil-A problem. And to your point about points, like I'm almost a little like it's like a weird gratification to get points.
2: Cause it's a game, right?
1: It's game. And like I have a when I tell you I have a strong Chipotle problem, I'm gonna show you. This is my Chipotle app.
2: And <laughs> thirteen thousand points.
1: <laughs> Shout out hey, Chipotle if you're watching. Can I be like customer number one? But like, yeah, I go to Chipotle all the time. That and is
0: a shocking number, by the way. When it's we a talk. big
1: number, man. I'm a I'm a Chick Fil A <laughs> red member. Like I'm all the things. But I'll he, say that
2: he is for a free entree. Like he's at like thirteen.
1: Oh, I've got lots of free stuff from them. Like I even got an invite from them to like, cause, uh, shout out to Atlanta based company, like to go to their headquarters and take a tour because I have so many points, but then the pandemic hit, so I didn't do it. But um, I guess the point is like the, the accumulation of points is rewarding in and of itself. You're right. Like the gamification of food is interesting by these apps, but all that aside, and I think Chipotle and and Chick-fil-A actually execute on this the best. And I've tried it with other restaurant chains and and they they don't come close, which is they never get it wrong. Like, I mean, mean, almost never get it wrong. Chipotle never put something in my bag and it's the wrong thing. You notice I opened the food and just started going. Like it's almost never wrong. And then Chick-fil-A is the same way. And it's fast, man. Like those are the two Those are big key things for me, like speed and like trusting that what's in the bag is right, you know, especially when you're getting a delivery, like how annoying would it have been if my food would have arrived and it was like totally wrong, but that never happens with these two I think
0: there's two other things they're getting right. Um, They're getting the UI, UX of the app right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They're they're making it easy and they're making the, the, this is not just a shout out to, other to my other companies I've worked for and their customers, but it
2: might be they're, on the
0: back end of this like Coca-Cola, Chipotle, McDonald's, Starbucks. But they're getting the they're getting the data collection part and the data use part for your benefit right. The so Starbucks is giving me points and surfaces in the app to me. It doesn't surface really stuff I've never bought. Yeah. And, and it's sort of like tangentially surfaces things like they don't give me like creamy milky latte stuff. I've never ordered that. You know, it's, it's, it's coffee. <laughs> it's coffee. It's a muffin. It's something I've actually bought before. They do a pretty good job of it. So like to that end, we are we are allowing a lot of data collection to happen. Well, that's your I that's, a, that's Z, a good. I think Gen Z is down with it. But it, that's a good
1: segue to the like, okay, so that's the bright side of all this. Like, we all love the apps. To Ami's point earlier, like the kids, they don't even think of Chipotle or Chick-fil-A as places or destinations. They think of them as like apps. Yes, all yes. of that is awesome. And obviously I'm hooked, and so are you, Andy, because we just went on and on about how much we love this whole thing. Um what's the what is it is the data collection necessary to make this all work as well as it does? And the learnings about you that happen as we engage in these like forever to be remembered um, ways—is—is there a dark side to that? Like, what are the what are the what's the bad part about all
2: this? So, I would say there's no dark side when you're trying to create. We are we are not trying to manipulate. You're trying to generally just create a brand connection. a lot of my current role, I've come to understand, is really Gen Z focused. Like, so There was, I don't know, the two of you may not know this. There was a makeup line that was put out between Chipotle and Elf, which is a pretty decent mid-road mid, mid makeup line. And it was in burrito colors, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> this, is,
1: this is not going where I thought it would, but go for it.
2: Uh, so like you're talking guacamole colored eyeshadow. And wow. salsa-colored blush. Like, nobody looks like this. But it, <laughs> it was a limited-time collab. Okay. It sold out. Um, It was really popular. And, like, people below a certain age that I know in Atlanta were like, oh, yeah, I got my e.l.f. Chipotle collab makeup. And I was like, do you wear it? Like, I just wanted it. Mm. Um, I would say, you know, if you're... Trying to create brand loyalty, you can definitely be ethical about it. Sometimes it really depends on if you're trying to steal your competition away through a simper, through subversive means, right? Like, there's always you can if too much data collection, depending on what you do with it, and also how much you collect, can have a dark side. Um, I, was, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, when I look at my, but also, is it accurate? When I look at my ads sometimes on the internet, like just cookie ads based on cookies, like I don't think they quite know me. And I don't know if it's because I have weird patterns that are not, you know, they can't be calculated or they just, they, they're they using the wrong metric or the algorithm is written by somebody who doesn't understand different viewpoints. I think that's the dark side.
1: You know, what's interesting to me about the point you're making is like, And I was trying to, I I can't relate to the makeup scenario, but I can, like, when I, back to Chick-fil-A, when I'm going to do a pickup order, I get in my car and I can't actually enter the order until the app knows that I'm close enough to a certain restaurant to place the order, right? And as soon as I open the app and say place order, it starts tracking me and suggests a store. And then I have to get within a certain range of the store before I can hit, you know, I'm here or whatever, and then have them start prepping my food. Like, in an isolated scenario, that seems fine. But, like, I mean, over years, right? There's a lot of patterns about me that that talks about, like, when I eat, where I'm coming from when I eat at Chipotle. I mean, at a Chick fil A, like all of these interesting insights and signals that I don't even have some, you know, I probably don't have awareness of are being sent to Chick fil A. And then the question is, like, how are they using it? I, I don't
0: know. It would be great if the app detected that you were nearby a chick, uh, a, a KFC and
2: a yeah. hand
0: came out and hit you. Like, <laughs> did it,
2: did, it, did, it did Uber do that with Lyft? Like, if you, it gave you surge pricing, one, if it knew your battery life was down, or if oh, like,
0: a right, so,
2: driver who also rode for Lyft had both apps open, it wouldn't give the, uh, like, it wouldn't give any rides on the Uber side.
0: Great example. Like, that's the angle I was, like, inartfully <laughs> going towards, which is, like, there, there's there's even use cases that border on sort of, like, d- different. And while I think we would probably tend to look at the things that we're talking about right now, sort of confu- consumer-facing um, f- food or, or service apps um, as kind of generally having kind of two buckets for the data really can i market to you send you some emails i think most people don't care about that one and then the other one is sort of product improvement and improving the app and improving the services and if i think about some of the companies that that we have worked with in the past you know they were often thinking about igami made this point like how do i make that experience better for for my customers? How do I differentiate? How do I make it better? I know like lots of restaurant companies in particular are thinking about facial recognition. How can they make, how can they pull up an order? How can they know their customer better? How can they pull up an order and like show them that order? Like lots of Gen Z might like that, but I think it's, it's we're very close to the line. What that.
1: about this? And, and, and to, you, you guys both mentioned like competitive alerts and uh, prompts, app prompts. I, and I don't know if Starbucks app still does this, but I know it used to. Like when I would be near a Starbucks, the app would be like, Hey, you're near your favorite Starbucks. Why don't you pull up?
2: Just right? for the record, the Chipotle app does not track location. The- I know it doesn't. I know. While, it while we're recording, like <laughs> just wanna <laughs> like
1: <laughs> and, and I'm not and I'm not picking on Starbucks. I love Starbucks. I do. But I wonder how like just from a health perspective, because we're talking about food and, you know, Starbucks, like, OK, a black coffee, not a big deal. But what if your daily drink or, or your favorite drink at Starbucks is like, I don't know, one of those creamy, frappy, you know, icing or whatever. I don't even drink those things. But you know what I'm talking about. The ones that are like 77,000 calories. Like, what if that's your thing? And like you're trying to scale back. But every time you're driving home, the app is like, hey, guess what's around the corner? And they show you, you a little picture of your favorite treat.
0: You, you have to set up my fitness pal to override it
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like 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 my nike running app should pick me and be like no go running go running stop stop but then,
2: <laughs> run out of the geo yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this,
0: yeah. is, this is funny like and this is this is fun to joke about but pedro like we've touched on this before like i do think this is kind of where vr is headed like Over. we are headed into a world where we're like walking around and we're advertised to, and our location is being used, in our hands and our like—it's interesting.
2: Wait, Andy, you know this is already happening, right? Yeah. So one, um, Target—you know, you, we've all heard of Target and pregnancy coupon. Oh
1: yeah, the old pregnancy. Target
2: uh, okay. So I was a statistics major in college, and anything under ninety-five percent is considered crap. So a lot of algorithms are at like sixty five percent, which is really just garbage. But Target had a statistics team and they could target with something like ninety seven to ninety eight percent accuracy. So they knew, are you in your first or second trimester? they know if you're like a gun nut or they know if you're like a vegan And they can give you targeted coupons and there's no way in hell you're gonna check with your neighbor over like, did you get these coupons like did right. I? Get- And they would also insert noise. So they would insert something like a coupon for a lawnmower, but they were able, so then you're like, oh, I don't need that, but everything else is really accurate. And I I think, you know, that technology has also become digitized. Like I've driven by billboards where I've seen ads suddenly change and I've heard, I, I, I don't know if this was like targeted to me. I've seen ads where it's like, I'm like, that's interesting that ad came up as I'm driving towards this billboard
1: i'm telling you man like i really worry about the nudging effect of some of this stuff though like to like to your point about like even i, I worry about the nudging especially in the context of food and yeah. it, other things too but alcohol all these things but like food especially because of the health that like the like direct health um effects of overeating and eating the wrong things and whatever just
2: what lifestyle too right like yeah
1: exactly exactly
2: you can have have like money problems but you're a big spender and you're trying to same
1: thing gambling app whatever yeah like totally agree it's just like we need to think carefully about how all of these apps i don't want to use the word manipulate because that feels too strong but you know make suggestions that are difficult to override with your own (laughs) like Like,
2: what's the big deal like it's just an ad but if you constantly see a certain pattern of ads you may have one impression of yourself and those ads may suggest to you something else by the way i've seen some of my profiles in these like ads like some of my ad profiles and they're really super weird
1: yeah there was a you know it's funny you say that because and i didn't go look And obviously, I work at Facebook, so, like, we've got our own bag of things we need to work through. Um, But, like, I'm going to pick on YouTube for a second. During the election, I think I've said this on the podcast, like, YouTube decided that I was a Trump supporter. And it was constant Trump support, like, Trump propaganda. Like, none of it was, like, illegal or misinformation or whatever. It's, like, just standard, like, campaign Trump stuff. But, like, it... Severely diminished my YouTube experience. Okay, like you know,
0: well, so to the one point. number yeah. one, the standard Trump campaign information is misinformation. So. Well, there's
1: some of that
2: there
0: back too. To but also, head. they're just annoying. I don't want to see Donald Trump during my like point.
2: Formula my One last, video. No, but with my last name, YouTube actually. No, on one side of my house, I can now I now know that my former neighbor was probably a Trump supporter because whenever I would my my laptop would be on that side of the house. I would get Trump ads, but when it was on this side of the house, I would get <laughs> Biden ads. And I was like, what is going on? That's bananas. And then if I was in the middle, this is the crazy part. Because of my pseudo Latino sounding name, uh, when I was in the middle of my house, I would get ads in Spanish.
0: Wow. <laughs>
2: it's a Portuguese last name, but you know. <laughs> wow. I, I think like, I,
0: we've talked about this before, for some reason, certain companies get it right or get it better than others it's interesting your example of digital out of home or whatever that is happening I didn't necessarily I sort of expected that to be happening sort of occasionally and and I think we can expect that to happen more and more as autonomous vehicles communicate once that starts to be like uh, vehicles pinging the environment I have a feeling like that's where we're headed but, but in terms of retargeting and the profile that's kept on somebody, it's really interesting because as, as two of us have worked in sort of specific marketing and ad tech where that's the business, when you were at Oracle, Pedro, or BlueKai, for example, was the first, if not one of the first, if not the first to create that place where when you navigate there, your cookie profile comes up, and it just tells you, like, we have you in these buckets: Sur- surfing, soccer person, you know, vacation intender, or whatever. And they they were always, you know, mostly inaccurate, but but okay. not not way off. And I think the interesting thing there is that, like, marketers, uh, because of the data available, they'll accept your point. Is so good, Ami, about like that that the the profile and the targeting strength of it, the versus like what's statistically significant and what's not because marketers will accept like the lowest bar, like they, <laughs> if it's just marginally better they'll take it and so that's why you're seeing an ad for, you know, chicken if you're vegan like it, it, because it's just like it's or marginally better than what bought. we had yesterday
2: or something you already bought like what thank you I the train already left.
0: Instagram does a good job there, and I think like they do. Like I think you get retargeted for something you bought across the web all the time. It takes several weeks for you to not, or months for me to not see the same thing I bought, like exact same thing. And and but that for some reason certain platforms, Instagram is one that does a good job of of stopping at a certain point.
1: But that's right. I, and I get that. I hear that feedback all the time about Instagram that like
0: from a relevant ad standpoint it's one of the best
1: experiences
0: you also hear you also hear people say like i was i was talking about something and then i got an instagram and facebook app. It's <laughs> super creepy and i just go every time i just go hey dude or dudette there's a there's a there's a ad tech reason for that i don't know what it is right now but i know you did something it's the right way. like, They're uh, not right, like to you you got to just dial it down a notch
1: right and, and and the thing is like people do so many things sort of like on autopilot that they don't realize they were talking about something but they also search for it or clicked on something or it got their attention because they saw an organic post that had it on there and they stuck around for a while an article, like, these,
0: like anything
1: <laughs> read an article what about,
2: but what about those um i don't know if these cookies are called specifically but i call them birds of a feather like if your phone is around persistently around other devices that belong to someone else, if they're not your device. I mean, the cookies can connect to say, well, yeah, you're probably, you probably live with this person or you probably work with this person, you know, before 2020, if like Friday at like noon, you're in an office complex.
0: That's a great example because that one does creep people out. I have a friend, we're all lawyers here. So I'm going to tell this story. Uh, you met him, Pedro. We had dinner with him in D.C., my friend Eric. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, yes. He was a, he's not now anymore, but he was a public defender and he was visiting jails often you know, to meet with his clients. And he said like he would constantly get Facebook suggestions to friend those people that are in, that are his clients in jail. And he was like, I don't understand. I never I didn't have any interaction with them other than the fact that my. My device was near their device. It's interesting. Like, there's dangers here, that.
1: though. Like these associative ad techniques. Yeah, there's danger, and there's one of the big dangers to me is like discrimination and racism. Because yesterday I was on a panel with uh, uh, Nicole Turner Lee and Edith Ramirez for the ABA, and I think it was Nicole. Yeah, it was Nicole who mentioned like an example that like terrifies me, which is. Uh, uh, watching i think it was a youtube video online of uh of an african-american fraternity doing african-american fraternity things whatever i don't know anything about fraternities but like some sort of like fraternity promo video and during the course of the video you can see like the ad banner or whatever and it's basically like check your criminal record right and like you tell me what a black fraternity has anything to do with that other than if you have a racist pretext for that um ad
2: which is terrifying
1: to me like that's terrifying to me
2: my last job my co-workers who are black women it, lawyers so by and large maybe not making the we may be making different amounts of money but it, we're generally in like a certain range once the stimulus checks were given the first round they were getting ads over here's how you can here's how you can spend your stimulus checks when i wasn't getting those
1: it's a Even nightmare.
2: They may live in a neighborhood similar to mine. It's a nightmare. And the other thing, I mean, we talk about, you know, maybe you have, maybe you're aware, like China's credit, social credit score, based on who you associate with and who you you don't, and like your social credit score goes up or down. And you know, we look at that and we're like, wow, that's great That's author. That's China. That's you know, that's an author- authoritarian regime. But how is it different when? if you associate with certain people, right? Like, Andy, your friend who's a public defender, like he may be associated now with his clients, regardless of whether or not they are guilty or innocent.
1: It's true. Another example of what Ami's talking about with respect to like racial-based targeting, which I I just have tremendous problems with. Um, Even if it's like black affinity, like we know that that's just code for what we know what that means. My friend, one of my friends here in Atlanta, uh, well, I'll put it to this way. I live in an upper middle class neighborhood, pretty nice neighborhood, predominantly white. Um, The kind of ads I get in the mail, right? Like the kind of like regular advertising stuff is like, just think of West Elms of the world. um, You know, these kind of things, like all this fancy upper middle class garbage, a bunch of like men's fancy clothing crap so they figured out my gender they figured out that my zip code means i, I i'm a, at least some sort of socioeconomic status my friend here in the city lives in the black part of town uh, he's black but first of all there shouldn't be a black part of town but there is so he lives in the black part of town he gets ads uh in the mail for like check cashing whatever it is um i got i can't even remember like um uh, Like, we'll buy your house for, you know, those stupid ads that are like, we'll buy your house for like 50 bucks if you just like turn over the deed, 411 pain all this stuff, right? Here's the interesting part of this story. He is one of the wealthiest people I know and lives in a mansion that you could fit my house in 10 times. But because of the part of Atlanta that he lives in, I mean, he drives up Bentley, okay? So like because of the part of Atlanta that he lives in, he's getting 411 pain. And like, what is it, uh, a payday loan advertisement in the mail? Like, walk me through that. You know, like this is, this is the dark side of all of this. And it all begins on like where you live and what you look like, unfortunately. But it, it's kind of a nightmare.
0: It begins in those places. And it also begins when local governments sold all of our data. Yeah, right. right. You buy a house. You, you buy a house you get inundated. doesn't matter. Like, even, even that guy, I'm sure he's getting those crappy ads, those terribly inappropriate ads, but he's also getting Pella windows. You know, the second he bought a house, it's like, I'm inundated with window, window <laughs> ads. Like, I have windows. I, like, I, I don't... I, but it, it depends it, where it, you it bought, just, right? You just sell the data. Like, it's left and right. And it's so funny because we're in this world where the CCPA tries to define publicly available data as... Basically, just government—I don't even know the exact definition. I forget, but like that kind of data that's like sort of in within the government, local government sector. When like the now, I think the, the emerging trend is to make that you know more more broad, which I I I like. But I still think we're in a weird place with with publicly available data.
2: I mean, so I agree because if again going back to like your Georgia motor records. It it has your ADA information. If you have any kind of disability, it has your race. It has your date of birth. It has your address. I mean, what more do you really need to steal somebody? What else
1: do you need? Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Right. Like it has your and then it has your party affiliation.
1: What else do you need? (laughs) You know, like (laughs) based on my zip code and my party affiliation, you can make some really good estimates about my economics. You can make a lot of education. Like you can make a lot of. uh, there's a lot of signal there I guess is my point point. Um, and even if it's junk signal people will use it because clearly some of the signal to go back to my friend who lives in the mansion's example like the signal is just wrong like he's never going to need a payday loan in his life like that doesn't make any sense um, and uh, you know but there's some like you know crap analysis that went into deciding that that's the person who should receive that ad you know or whatever super scary I don't know if it's like it, it, I don't know if it's a privacy issue as much as it seems to me like a like a fairness discrimination issue, right? Just like, they're all tied sure. to each other.
0: I was just going to say, man, I think it's a social issue. Yeah. It's a social fairness, uh, unfairness issue. Yeah.
1: yeah, because, like, he's not going to be a victim and neither am I of these ads, right? But if you, like, change the education status and socioeconomic status, a lot of the ads can be super predatory, man. yeah. Like, you know like refinance predatory loan stuff payday loans in my opinion are predatory or, those, or
2: those university, the for-profit those,
1: universities. those for-profit universities like these things clearly have been demonstrated to like you know target the poor and take advantage of them and like that's lame so but, but but again it's not a pure privacy issue but it could be if you said well you can't you can't use my personal data to personalize advertising to me right like that's would have to be like
0: the bold
2: Well, but what if you took the privacy, like the dignitarian side, right? Like I I have a right to self-determine who I am and that's part of privacy, right? Like it's that, I mean, I think it is, it leans more towards an ethical issue than a true privacy issue. But it depends on if you define privacy as confidentiality or your rights to self-determine.
1: You know what? Speaking of privacy and like whether... I watch Twitter pretty closely a couple times a week just to see what people are talking about. And one of the hashtags that I kind of... Or topics that I kind of always look into is like privacy debate. And lately... And maybe it's just me anecdotally because I'm just one person and I didn't do some empirical analysis. But I've noticed a trend of the reemergence of privacy is dead, just accept it line of thinking. Um, like, you just... Do you have no privacy? Stop. Well, you're fighting for something that's, you know, archaic, like that's not the present and it's definitely not the future. Forget about it. Are we wrong? Are we all just, this entire profession? Are we just wrong? Like what, what's happening? I, you guys, I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Are we trending in, what what direction are we trending? In? That's the simple way to ask the question.
2: Preserving privacy
1: or it continues to get like, you know, slowly eaten away.
2: Here's the thing though you're not the same person like when people say this is the equivalent of like oh i just assume my data is all out there i've been breached you're not the same person at 18 that you are at 25 that you are at 30 that you are at 40. i think it's really i think it's reductive to make that i there have been times where i'm like does it even matter after reading the snowden book i was like man why what are we what are we trying to do like you know the ccpa and GDPR when like the US government is monitoring us this way.
1: Yeah, because we're, we're like, there's definitely a proliferation of rules, right? But I always ask the question uh, when I see like new laws, new rules, new you know, surveillance capitalism, let's stop companies from doing X, Y, Z and make companies be more transparent about one, two, three. All of that's fine. And I think it's it's, it's uh, privacy is an area worth regulating in the sense of, well, in many senses. But overall, like if the government can do whatever continue governments can continue to do whatever they want. Yeah. Bad actors don't follow regulations in case you guys forgot. So they're going to keep doing whatever the hell they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so only the companies that have the resources and will to comply will, and everybody else just keeps doing whatever they want. Like, is, am I, is my life more private if I know that bad actors and governments are basically carte blanche doing all the surveillance they feel like it, like, I, I, I don't know. separation?
2: What about Portland, which you know outlawed um, surveillance technology by law enforcement or facial recognition technology?
1: Yeah, fr. Yeah, for San Francisco. Like
2: that's, that's a tiny example, but I think there's there is an area of ethics that privacy overlaps with, and I think that's usually ignored. My view is, if you want to address ethics, you have to be accountable to history, which no one really ever looks at.
0: That's a really good point. I think if you're if you're falling on the privacy's dead side of the house, that's a really it's a particularly poignant point. Like privacy's dead, if you think about it, in the sense of
2: uh,
0: potentially like the, the 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 horses out of the barn with, with respect to data being used by governments or being used in certain ways that 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 that's over i think where it's a nuanced question i think where where privacy is not dead and maybe lives on is if you zoom way out in 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 the way that it's it's what we're doing with the ccpa and laws and state laws and gpr and things is creating uh re- creating just they're not great but creating rights that consumers didn't have before, creating obligations on companies, big and small Pedro. I mean, they're obviously like b- bigger or, or, or um, have impact on certain companies as opposed to others. So I do think it's not like, when you look at data privacy versus human privacy, I think the ethics sort of sits in the middle and you've got like, you've got uh, maybe less privacy in your data. And maybe Gen Z is comfortable with that. I want my app, I want my food. I get that there's a data exchange there. Maybe I'm a little more savvy with understanding what that is, maybe not. Maybe companies are now forced to put out more information about it. So I think like there's, it's a typical lawyer answer but it depends, Pedro, it's not, it's not-
2: but The Gen we're Z not, right now, like they don't have kids to worry about. Gen Z, most of them don't have a, well, I mean, very few of them would have a mortgage very few of them would be considered a very valuable consumer right now based on so
1: know. why is the, i'm glad you mentioned that because everyone's obsessed with them all advertisers all marketers are obsessed oh, with my them.
2: They got, like they don't have money
1: like they don't have no money yeah,
2: i could argue I that again i'm not
1: being a facebook homer here okay but the fact that the facebook and user engagement leans a little older if i was an advertiser that's sort of that's those people who have money like what that, that I, and i i don't work on the marketing side oh, i don't work geez. on the sales I, I don't know anything about this but like why would i want to market to a 16 year old i know broke you know what I'm, cac you know what cac is tell me no i don't know anything about
0: that. customer acquisition cost oh i see super low that's and it. and they will convert on your platform whereas nice. that dinosaur that dinosaur who's looking in the uh Facebook used jeans group is not, convert, <laughs> is not going to convert on your platform. Not going to happen.
1: Andy, did you? Are you the founder of the Facebook used jeans group? I, I didn't know that was a thing.
0: We, <laughs> we, I, yeah,
2: we, we group.
1: That <laughs> sounds. I mean, I you know again, I don't know, and I'm not on the marketing or ad sales side of the business, and never have been in my whole career. I've always been on the back end, so I don't know much about like the value of who's in your audience and how that works but like as a, so like as a novice in that regard i would think you'd want to market to the people who spend money but i see your point about
2: But also think about how much like energy and vitality a younger generation brings right like yeah. no offense but fear you're
0: it's, it's, brand. it's definitely brand driven we okay, so- we've, we've almost taken up our whole hour here between all this talk. This was, this was awesome. Uh, great audio for this conversation. So <laughs> no audio problems. Thank you so much. Ami, all right, wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. we're not done though. Are you in your Republican side of your house or the Democrat side of your
2: house? Oh, right Democratic side of <laughs> okay. Okay. That <laughs> wasn't
1: I obvious. know it really matters. That you, wasn't you,
2: obvious. I'm going to collect that about you now. <laughs> really. It's going to really confuse the data they have on you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we end where we started? Like, allowing people to vote is a good thing <laughs> and making it easy is an even yeah. better thing like shout out to freedom okay <laughs> like can we do some shout out to autonomy no, oh easy. yes
2: no, no, shout out, out to, to the old employer and, and congratulations and on
1: Chipotle them. like what a cool company obviously Andy and I are obsessed with it and for the first 30 minutes of this thing people watched me dripping guacamole from my face <laughs> which is fine but um go rock it out and make that app even better and uh, I'll continue to spend my money
0: and, and uh, we're going to do this next conversation over brunch in D.C. Sometime. Yes, we need that. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Right. Thanks, awesome. Thanks have have a good weekend, everything.
2: everyone.
0: All right. Good to see you.
2: Take care. Thank you both.